And we're going to open to Mark 4 to a very familiar chapter. You already know this, but I'm going to remind you because the Bible talks about stirring one another up by way of remembrance and reminder. I need to remind you that whatever, whatever direction we're headed in, whatever place God's called you to, whatever God has put you in, um, you're not to be overly affected by what's going on around you. In fact, circumstances aren't your problem and they're not your solution either. The things that are going on outside of, of you, the things that are going on around you, the things that other people do or say, they're not your issue, they're not your problem, and they're not going to fix your problems either. Your hope, your trust, your solution is in the Lord. And in fact, if we're, if we're talking about things like, you know, the scripture talks about storms and, and droughts in a, in a spiritual sense. Now, it talks about physical as well, like just natural storms and droughts. But if we look in the scripture, uh, it's mirrored in the spirit. It's mirrored in the things that happen. And so when the scripture talks about storms, when it talks about, uh, you know, intense heat, um, in every circumstance that it talks about this, it, you know, there, there is a way out. There's a, there's a way of deliverance that God provides. But God also wants to prepare you so that in those times, you're not absolutely destroyed. You're not absolutely taken apart by what's going on around you. You know, the Bible talks about the thief coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. If you've studied the word destroy, both in the Greek and in the English, when he says that, even, even our English word destroy means to unbuild to destruct, to take a structure, something that's built, and to destroy it means to take it apart. So the enemy's plan for your life, the, the, the other team's plan, is to take apart what God has built. But I know you and I know this, that he can't take apart anything that God's built unless you let him. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. doesn't mean he gets to. You ever read the scripture that says Satan goes around prowling like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour? You know, roaring lions who can devour anybody they want don't have to seek somebody to devour. They just devour. The reason he has to seek whom he may devour is because there's a whole bunch of people he can't just devour. The Bible talks about uh, we, were, we were struck down, but we were not destroyed. We might have been struck down. There might have been something that hit us. There might have been something that came against us. But there was nothing that was capable of destructing what God has built in us, of destructing what God has planted in us, of tearing up what, what has already been rooted. And so there are, there are a couple of different analogies in the Scripture. There's, there's buildings. We're compared to buildings. We're compared to bodies. We're compared to plants. In all of those cases, and every time that Jesus talks about it, every time the, the writers of the epistles talk about it, all of those cases, there's nothing that can uproot you. There's nothing that can turn you into rubble. There's nothing that can destroy you if you don't allow it to. Things will come. Things can smack you. Things can hit you. But you can't be destroyed when your trust is in the Lord. You can't be uprooted if your roots go to a stream that, that the enemy can't touch. And so let's look in Mark 4. Let's read what Jesus says uh, because, you know, he says it better than I could for sure. In Mark chapter 4, you know, I, I, uh, I would never, ever pray for a storm in your life because that's, that's cheering for the wrong team. You know, I, I think there's some people that, that uh, think they're being holy and godly by praying for persecution. But the scripture teaches us to do the opposite of that. It says, pray for rulers and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. Persecution will come without you helping it along. You know what I mean? You don't need to help. You don't need to cheer for it. The scripture commands us. In fact, we should, you know, here's just, just a cheat card for you. Only pray the kinds of things that you're told to pray by God in his word. And you can't find an instance in the word of God where he says, hey, things are going to be real tough. Go ahead and pray for that. You're not told to do that. Now, in the Old Testament, a prophet spoke to the sky and said, you're not going to rain until I tell you to. But look in the New Testament. There's not one instance where God tells you, go ahead and pray for bad stuff to happen. Maybe it'll teach some character. No, he says, pray for this. Now, he tells you. 
right up front, storms will come, persecution will come. There's no getting around that. That's going to happen. You are in the world, and the world is broken. And in fact, there are plenty of opportunities that God can bring out, even in the midst of this stuff. You know, like Jesus said to his disciples, he said, when they put you on trial, there's an opportunity for your testimony. Instead of you getting so scared about what they're going to do, he says, he says, don't even prepare a defense. Let me speak through you. And in that time, I'll use an opportunity for your testimony. So even in the midst of those things, God can use, or use you to, to, to bring out some things that you never could have expected in those circumstances. But in Mark 4, he says this, the famous parable of the sower, which Jesus says, if you can't understand this parable... You can't understand any of the other ones. This is a foundational parable. He says this in verse 3. Listen to that. Listen to this, sorry. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came, they ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grow up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And as he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those that are outside, they get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. They, otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the other parables? And just before he gives the explanation, let's just think about this for a minute. All that seed that was sown, every single seed went through the same adverse circumstances, had the same opportunities to fall away, Right? The seed that was sown on the rocky ground, the seed that was sown on the highway, the seed that was sown on the thorny ground, the seed that was sown in the good soil, all of them lived through the drought or died in the drought. All of them lived through the birds coming. All of them lived through a time of, where there were thorns around. And, and the, difference isn't, um, the difference isn't necessarily what happened around them. The difference was the condition of the heart. The difference was the condition of the seed, where it was planted. And look what it says here as Jesus gives the explanation. He says in verse 14, the sower sows the word. So these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and he takes away the word which has been sown in them. So you know that these are folks that hear the word. They don't really receive it. They reject it right away. And so Satan immediately steals that away from their heart. Then he says, in a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, they immediately hear it with joy and receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but they are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word. Now I want you to stop there for a minute. It says affliction or persecution arises because of the word. The first, the first group of seeds, who stole, who stole the seeds away? Satan did. Justice is right. <laughs> Satan stole it, right? So the second group, Satan is also the one behind this. Because when you look at the word affliction, for instance, affliction means very purely, look anywhere in the scripture, when you see affliction, it's evil done to stop the word. Anywhere in the New Testament, when you see this Greek word, it never applies to anything that God is doing. It always applies to something that, especially persecution, especially people rising up trying to stop the word. And of course, those people are motivated by, by the devil himself. I mean, they're, they're not coming up with this on their own. This is something that's a plan of the enemy. And so it says it arises because of the word. Because there's an attempt to stop the word from growing, because there's an attempt to steal the word, because there's an attempt to kill the word in your life, immediately when you receive it, affliction or persecution arises. And it says immediately these guys fall away. Why? Because they've got no firm root in themselves. They, they receive it with joy. They get excited. 
I mean, how many people are in a service and get pumped and excited because the atmosphere was right and the people around them were excited and, and the speaker was engaging and, and, you know, they received it with joy, but they never really applied it past that initial hearing. You know what I mean? You can receive it, receive the word of God when you're hearing it, but what you do with it, what you talk about after, how you apply it, that's going to define how deep it goes in your life. I got to be honest with you. If every Sunday and every Wednesday night you're here and you're pumped and you're excited, but a month later there's really no fruit coming out of those sermons that you heard and received, it's not doing you a lot of good. You've got to let this come. You've got to let it grow in your life. I've said this before, and so, so forgive me for repeating myself, but we often you know, think that the biggest we're ever going to, the, the biggest the word's ever going to be is when a great speaker comes and speaks it, you know, and that's, oh man, man, I've never seen it that way before. That's as big as it's going to be in my life. You know, I still like that verse, but remember when that guy preached it, wow. But we know that Jesus says the word is a seed, right? Seeds are the smallest when they're first sown. So that moment you receive the word of God, the moment you read it in your, in your Bible, the moment it's spoken and you receive it, that's the smallest it should ever be in your life. Now, what's a seed supposed to do? It's supposed to get bigger. It's supposed to grow. It's supposed to eventually bear fruit. And what does fruit have in it? Fruit has other seed. So you should be able to see fruit coming out of your life. You should be able to see other people that have been affected by the seed sown in your life because fruit bears its own seed. So here, he says, these guys don't have a root. They, they don't have strong roots. So when stuff happens to them, immediately they fall away. And, and we've, we've been around this. You've experienced this. He doesn't say, he doesn't say that the, the, the affliction of the persecution only arises for these people. We have to assume it's arisen for everybody. It's hitting everybody. The birds have tried to steal everybody's seed. The, the sun is beating down on, on all the soil. The sun is scorching everybody. But the difference is somebody had their roots going down and somebody didn't. And of course, he goes on, talks about the thorny ground, and he says in verse 18, and others were the ones who seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, I'm faster in my Bible. Who've heard the word? <laughs> but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Boy, can we identify with this in Lloydminster, huh? Busyness choking out the word of God in our lives. You didn't reject the word. You didn't even, you weren't even just a hearer and not a doer. You were a doer. But busyness. Oh, but busyness, and we exalt it. We wear it like a badge of pride. Oh, I'm so busy. Oh, me too, so busy. Oh, so busy. Oh, it sounds, that sounds like it's that Protestant work ethic, right? Yeah, we're so busy, 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 busy. And I believe you should be busy about the Father's business. But that's not the same as busyness in the world. And you have to define what your priorities are. And I know you love your kids, and you want them to grow up to be precious little snowflakes that'll... Go and be the next Steve Jobs or whatever. But you know, chances are, as many times as you get up and take them to every sport that they want to play, they're not going to play the, in the NHL in, 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 you know, NHL in one season and then the MLB in the summertime and you know, just switch back and forth and then play a little basketball and football on the side. That's probably not their destiny in life. Now, I, and I'm not against... Sports, I was in sports growing up. I love them. There's good things that you learn. But sports for us always came secondary to what God was doing. Amen. If we had to miss a tournament, we missed a tournament. I mean, I played soccer, and, and, and I wanted to be on the provincial team, and I was asked to be on the provincial team almost every year, almost every year. Some years I just stunk. But almost every year, I was asked to be on the provincial team, and I always had to turn it down because they practiced on Wednesday nights. And some people might say, Wednesday night, that's a, that's a freebie. Give that one away. Wednesday night, at least you're coming on Sunday. But for me, we had youth on Wednesday night. For me, it was, it was important. So, you know, we said, sorry, 
There's something that comes before this. There's something that's more important than this. When I took my first job, and you know, sometimes you just got to take the jobs you can take, but you got to trust God when you, when you take a job, that he's going to give you a job that works, that's not going to be a job that takes you away from what he's called you to do. If it's a job that's taking you away from everything he's ever put in your heart to do, it's probably not God, right? Can we just say, God, I trust you, and I'm not going to take the first thing that comes up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust the Lord to give me the right job. Because your job's a mission field, isn't it? Your job is part of your ministry, and you can't be schizophrenic about your ministry. you got to know what God's called you to, and you got to be sure about it. And so here he says, these people, they keep the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in. And they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. What I, what I get out of this when it says it becomes unfruitful is it seems at some point it bore some fruit. And then it stopped bearing fruit. But if you've noticed, well, let's just go on to the good soil and then we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. He said, those are the ones, in verse 20, on whom seed was sown on the good soil and they hear the word and they accept it and they bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. That's a big statement, isn't it? They're bearing fruit like 30, 60, 100 fold what they've received, they're putting out. I don't know if you've thought about this, but the word that goes in has got to be coming out at some point. And Jesus says it's producing 30, 60, 100 fold. This is a, this is a fruitful Christian life that you are producing more than you're taking in because the word of God is living and active inside of you. But notice that all these people go through the same things. The only difference is, is where their heart's at and the, whether they've got the roots that go down, whether or not they allow the word to really bear fruit in their life. So we all know that heat's going to come. For the benefit of those that are listening to the podcast later, when we read it at, uh, at offering time, Jeremiah 17, and it says that the one who trusts in the Lord is like a tree who extends its roots to the stream and will not fear when heat comes. You have to know heat will come. There's no avoiding that. It will come. So here's the question. Is, is, the, is the word of God, is the body of Christ, is, is you know, all your friends and your brothers and sisters around you, are they there simply to put your life back together after it falls apart? Now, thank God they are there for that. And they will put your life back together. If everything falls apart, God will put your life back together. He'll use people. He'll use that fellowship. There's a lot of things. You're not lost. You're not, you're not totally forsaken. You could put this back together. But I would, I would just tell you right now that the way better thing, the, the much better thing, is for you to prepare for the storm before it happens. You remember Bob? And, how many of you remember Bob and Barbara Jenkins? You remember them? I say, remember, they're still alive and kicking and doing good things. This, they, don't, they, don't, they don't get in their RV and come up north as much anymore. But for those of you that don't know, Bob and Barbara Jenkins were this great couple. They are this great couple. I've got to stop speaking of them in the past tense. They're not going to like that. But they're a great couple, and they would come, and they'd sing. And, and you know, Bob would preach, but, but they would sing. And, 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 you know, even though I was, uh, you know, like, I grew up as a teenager listening to some stuff that was a little bit harder than Bob and Barbara Jenkins. It was not quite so, you know, old school country. I still really enjoyed it. Because I think when you find people that are singing about the goodness of God and they're full of the joy of the Lord, it doesn't matter what you like, you can just enjoy it, you know? I think that anybody that goes to a church and says, oh, I don't like the music there, and people are worshiping, but they can't worship because it's not their style, I think you're just not, you're not focusing on the right thing. I, I've been in churches where, where the music was so bad that there's a part in your spine that starts to hurt. It's that bad, you know, just, <laughs> it's just really bad. And uh, it actually, you can actually smell something. Like it's, it's just, those dissonant notes are creating a foul odor. You know, it's just, but, but there was such a heart of worship amongst the people twanging on their untuned instruments that I actually really enjoy myself just standing there, lifting my hands and worshiping God with them. And so... But Bob and Barbara were skilled. I mean, they could sing. They had joy. They had the moves. You know, back when 
I mean, when, when duets used to have like these moves that they do together, like they turn at the right time and they, you know, they, they would do that. They had the routine down. Bob would have this amplifier, it's like a guitar amp, and on top of it, a tape player. And, you know, you know, we've got sound people that can put something in, but, you know, these guys are on the fly, right? So they would, they, he'd just have a bunch of tapes, and he'd just say, what song are we singing right now? And he'd flip the tape, he'd stick it in, and they'd start singing. And I remember a song that they used to always sing. I remember a lot of them. They're stuck in my head, and, and I'll probably sing them to my grandkids someday. But... I remember a song they used to sing, which was, uh, it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. And you might have heard that song. You might have heard somebody say that. And it's absolutely true. Can you imagine if Noah just started frantically building the moment he first, you know, heard the first or felt the first raindrops? If he started to build a little dinghy or a little life raft to get him off? I mean, this, this guy would not have survived 40 days and 40 nights. You have to start building an ark way before the floods come. You need to build your house before the floods come. You need to prepare your roots before the drought comes. So if you simply live day to day, and every time something happens, then you go to the Word and say, what am I supposed to do about this? You'll be grossly underprepared for everything in your life. And in fact, you won't have the time to really put the roots down that you need. You'll be the kind of person that everybody picks up and everybody helps along. But at some point, you've got to grow up and pick somebody else up. And in order to do that, you've got to put your roots down ahead of time. We can't live circumstance to circumstance. We can't live day to day. We have got to live in the way that God has taught us, in the way that Jesus has commanded us. We've got to live with the preparation of knowing that stuff's going to happen. And if your life is constantly being thrown off the rails by stuff, it's thrown off the rails by circumstance, it's thrown off the rails by what somebody does or something happened at your job or the way you're feeling that day, if it's constantly being derailed by stuff that's happening, you're not as rooted and you're not as grounded as you think you are. You have got to be so rooted in him that no matter what happens, you're not thrown off your path. So he says... The one who has all, the one that has these roots that go down, the one that's been planted in good soil, this is the guy, this is the woman that is going to not only survive the storm, but thrive in the midst of it. Like in Jeremiah 17, where in the middle of drought, somebody's bearing fruit. (laughs) When we first got married, Tia and I would always, you know, we're adjusting to, to new life and, and things are changing and things were happening. And we constantly would say, well, when, when it settles down, we'll do that. When things get normal, we'll do that. And all of a sudden, I just looked at her and said, Tia, I don't think anything's ever going to be normal. I don't think it's ever going to settle down. She said, you know, we used to say, well, when things get, when we get a good schedule going, I said, I don't think we're going to get a good schedule going. I think we just need to do what we need to do. We just need to obey God and just step in by faith and trust that he's going to make this work. Because if we're just living, waiting for every, all the stars to align and everything to come perfectly into place, those days don't exist. You've got to trust God in the midst of all this stuff that's happening and find a center in him and find that peace in him where it doesn't matter how many storms are happening. Your shelter, your refuge is in the secret place of the Most High. And there's arrows flying everywhere and it's not affecting you. There's plagues and it's not going by your tent. There's pestilence and it's not destroying your crops. And you're saying, no, no, I have found my resting place, my refuge in him. Instead of waiting for a time of peace, going to him and finding that peace. What did Jesus say? He says, in the world, you have trouble. In the world, you will have trouble. But in me, you have peace. My peace I give you. Don't, don't, not the peace that the world gives, but my peace I give to you. In the world, you have trouble. What is trouble? I mean, think about troubled waters. Those, they're not still, they're stormy, they're thrown all around. He says, in the world, you've got that, but in me, you have peace. Take good heart. I've overcome the world. Be of good cheer. This is something we've got to remember. So let's turn in the book of Luke to chapter 6. 
And of course, this is something, you see, everything I'm going to be reading to you today, I, I don't think we're going to stumble upon a scripture you're not real familiar with. This is stuff you know, but this is stuff we have got to begin to put into practice. This, this morning, I mentioned Joseph and uh, talked about how, just for a brief moment, how Joseph was, caused Egypt to be a place of supply for, for the tribe of Israel, as small as it was at that time. Egypt was a place of supply because God had told Joseph through Pharaoh that there would be a time of famine, but before that, there'd be a time of bounty. So he prepared him that in the time of bounty, you put this aside so that in the time of famine, you'll have more than enough. When God told that to Joseph, he just did it. When he heard, when the Lord gave him an interpretation for the dream, he did it. And uh, you realize that if God had told him two days before the famine, it would have been too late. That God warned him seven years, at least. Seven years before famine. Fourteen years before the end of the famine. Now, I'm not telling you to go and uh, open three different savings accounts. Because... You know, if the Lord tells you to do that, you do that. But the, Jesus also said, don't store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy or where thieves can steal, but store up treasures in heaven where they can't touch it. God may tell you to put something aside. If he does, you do it. If he didn't, you don't. Is that simple enough? But look what he says in Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> Thank God for his word. He says in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? That's <laughs> a great question, isn't it? Quit calling me boss if you're just going to do your own thing. Would that be annoying or what? You're trying to run a, run a business and somebody, every time they see you, they go, yes, boss, yes, boss, immediately boss, but they, they go back and they play Xbox in the back room. You say, uh, can you, will you sweep the floor, please? Yes, boss. You're the boss. You're the chief. <laughs> you're the head commander, right? Yeah, I am. Okay, go ahead, just sweep the floor. And they go back, yes, boss. And then they go, in the, they go back and they do whatever they're going to do. Every time, you know, where once you might say, oh, that's nice, they call me boss. Now, every time they say the word boss, it's annoying because you don't mean it. Yes, chef. You don't mean it. Stop using that word. And so Jesus is saying, why do you keep saying Lord, Lord? Don't you know the definition of Lord is the boss? I mean, he's not the Lord if you get to pick and choose what you want to do, is he? Right? I mean, okay, guys, is Oprah your Lord? You know, she might say, I really like this kind of muffin. And you go, Oprah likes that kind of muffin. I think I'm going to go try that muffin. And you go and you eat it and you go, what do you know? Oprah was right. She was right about this muffin. I like the muffin. That doesn't make Oprah your Lord. You liked something. You tried it. A bunch of other stuff you threw away. Somebody's only your Lord when you do things when you don't want to do it. That's how you know. How do you know somebody's the Lord of your life when you do what they say even though you don't want to do it? That's how you know. It's funny we call him Lord and we wait for him to prove that it's the right thing for us. We wait for him to prove that it's a good idea. We wait for somebody to pump us up enough so that we get excited about it. If he's the Lord, the time you'll know that he's the Lord is when everything and everybody around you says, nah, don't do that. And you say, well, the Lord said, and you do it. That's when you know he's the Lord. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? In verse 47, he says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred and torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Let's look at the similarities between these two people. What, what's one thing, Justice? That's exactly right. 
that's, that's the two guys. So what they do the same? They both came to Jesus, right? They both heard his words. See, like I used to hear this, and I used to imagine that one of them just wasn't showing up at the meetings. Like there was a guy that was coming, had his Bible out, had his notebook out, and oh, he's listening to the word, oh, he's pumped up, and that's the, the guy with the house on the rock, and the other guy's like, I'm too busy, I'm going to go do something else. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus said both of these guys came to the, came to the service. Both of them probably had their notebooks out. Both of them heard what he had to say. One of them did it. That's the difference. Now, which one of these guys experienced a flood? Both of them did. They both experienced a flood. They both experienced the same storm. You see, this is the deal. We got, we've got to understand when you're telling your life story or you're explaining why things didn't work out the way you thought they should work out or you're explaining why you didn't do the, what the Lord told you to do and you're talking to somebody and we're coming up with all these reasons. Well, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. You've got to understand your circumstances don't determine whether or not your house stands. Your circumstances don't determine whether or not you stand or fall, whether or not you succeed or fail. What's going on around you is not the issue. So we've got to stop living life saying, well, things just keep happening. And Yes, they will keep happening. I'll just, that's a promise you have. Stuff will happen. Good stuff, bad stuff, it'll all happen. But whether you stand, whether your house remains... Now, see, God can pick up the pieces of that man's destroyed home. He can rebuild it again, and many of you are, are evidence of that. He's rebuilt your home. He's rebuilt you. When you were nothing but broken pieces, he put you back together. But is there anybody in the room that says, boy, I want to go through that again? No, we, you don't desire that. In fact, you know, hey, God could put me back together again, but it's even better if I'm prepared and how am I prepared? Look at look what he says. You come to me, you hear my word, and you act on them. Do you realize that every word that God's speaking to you is preparing you for things that you don't know are going to happen? Is preparing a foundation for you? And this is the thing. It, we, we, we sometimes treat the word like it's, like it's you know, WebMD or something. Does anybody still use WebMD, Brent? You would know. It's on there, I know. But I think anytime you use WebMD, you think you're going to die next, next Tuesday. But... We treat the Bible like it's WebMD, like, you know, here are my symptoms. Quick, what's the solution? And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. You should go to the Word first, right? Yeah. That's where you find your hope. That's where you find your solution. But instead of waiting until stuff comes up and you need an answer for what's come up right then, why don't you just trust God that every time He's spoken His Word to you, every time He's used somebody else to speak it, every time you've opened the Word and it came alive to you, He's building a foundation and it's stuff you might not even need right now. But there will be a day when you fall back on that and you're not having to flip rapidly through your Bible trying to find something frantically, but you already have your foundation. Would you feel real comfortable if your pilot is flying and, and just <laughs> he's got an app on his phone? Whoa, I don't know what to do now. Let's check that out. You know, scrolling through. What happens when... What happens when there's turbulence? You know, they didn't teach me this in school. I took a, I took a class at the Y, and I, I didn't learn all this stuff. <laughs> Just learning as I go. But don't worry, I got an app, guys. Uh, we're, we're experiencing turbulence right now, and uh, oh, you might need to, need to put your seatbelt on, your trace tables up. Uh, don't worry, we have an app up here. And uh, though we have not encountered this or been educated about what we're going to do, uh, we've got an app that as long as our phones are charged up, uh, we should be fine. <laughs> want to remind you that you're not allowed to use your phones, but we are. Okay. That doesn't fill you with confidence. The guy's got to know how to encounter stuff. And you know if you're a pilot, you'd be sitting there in class going, or going through the simulator going, this is never going to happen. This combined with this combined with this. This, this you know... This correlation of events is never going to occur in real life. How many, how many of you at one point said, I'm never going to use this. Why are we learning this? I'm never going to use this. When are we ever going to put letters with numbers? When is that ever going to happen? 
But aren't you glad that somebody's trained beyond their immediate circumstances? So if you considered that there might be some stuff that God's trying to plant in your life, and if you reject it because you don't need it right now, you might not be prepared when you actually do need it. My brother-in-law's a surgeon, and, and he's, not, he's not saying, all right, gallbladder surgery, let's study up. I've never done that before. No, he's got to be prepared for everything. Way before it ever happens, if he never needs to use it, that's fine. But if we trust God, he's building a foundation for you that you're going to rely on. Storms will come. Now, if we look in the Bible, storms come for all different kinds of reasons, don't they? I mean, Jonah, when he encountered that storm, it was because of his own disobedience. Right? Because of his own disobedience, a storm came into his life. Paul encountered a storm. And for those of you that join us on Wednesday nights, we'll be getting there soon in the book of Acts. But Paul encountered a storm and was shipwrecked because they didn't listen to God. Paul listened to God. He said, friends, we shouldn't take this little trip. It's not going to end well. And they ignored him and instead listened to the the experienced sailors instead of listening to the man of God. And when that happened, He had to go through that, not because he did something wrong, but because somebody else did something wrong. So sometimes storms come in your life because you were disobedient. Sometimes storms come in your life because somebody else in your life was disobedient. And sometimes, as the disciples discovered, storms come when you're doing everything right. When you're doing the right thing, storms come. They'll come for all sorts of reasons. And you need to react to those different ways, but no matter what, the solution is the same. You call out on the name of Jesus. You take your authority where you are. You speak to what you need to speak to. You, you're prepared in every circumstance. But he says here that when the flood comes, and the floods will come, the hurricane will come. Whether you stand or fall, see, because that guy that built his house on the sand, he's going to blame all his problems on that flood. He's going to say, well, you don't know what I went through. I had a flood. You're fine, your house is standing, but you know I had a flood. But you know the guy that built his house on the rock had the same flood. Now, I'm not saying this so you don't have compassion for people that are going through stuff. But I am saying this so that you can be a house of refuge for somebody that is. You need to be prepared now. So what we hear now is preparing us for storms we've never encountered. As we get ready to close this up, I just want to read you something from James. You know, there's a book uh, that I, I read at, at one point by a guy named Tony Cook, and he talked about some of these things. He talked about some storms, and uh, he used the term, four, we need to be a four-wheeled Christian. We need to have four-wheel drive, Christians with four-wheel drive. And I thought, this guy must be from here. <laughs> I hope he's not one of those guys that, you know, takes up three parking spots right in front of the store, but he's from here. He says this in James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now listen to that. Testing of your faith, or we could translate that the proving of your faith. What's going to save you? That faith, that faith is stronger than what you're facing. And that faith is not just faith in your faith. You don't have faith in faith, do you? You have faith in God. And he says, knowing that testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result. Some of your translations might say patience instead of endurance. They mean the same thing. That when you feel like giving up, you stay, you keep going. See, I, I... I spent most of this message this morning talking about what you need to do to prepare for storms and prepare for heat. But what if you're in it right now? What if you are encountering it right now? It's good to prepare. You guys need to prepare. If things are going great, lay your foundation. But if you're in a storm right now, here's what he says. Take heart, have joy. And then know that your faith is going to be tested. But you know what? If it's, if it's faith in God, it'll survive the test. It'll pass the test. It'll be proven. But then he says this, let endurance have its perfect result so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's go back for a minute and see. So Brother Cook put it out this way. He said, you got to be a four-wheeled Christian. And those four wheels, when you're going through the midst of a storm, that are going to get you out of the storm, that are going to get you through that storm, are that joy that he talks about here, the faith that he talks about here, the patience or the endurance that he talks about here, and the wisdom of God. And those four things have got to be functioning at the same time in your life. Now, there's plenty of other things you need, isn't there? There's plenty of other fruits in this, of the Spirit. There's plenty of other things that you're going to need to rely on. But you'll need all of these four things functioning. He says, first of all, have joy. Do you notice every time the apostles were beaten, every time something happened that they weren't expecting, you see them, even though they had every opportunity to be discouraged, they found their joy. That's what's going to, I mean, that joy, as Brother Savell used to say, uh, if he can't steal your joy, he can't keep your goods. That joy is a powerful force in your life. That joy will keep you going through all sorts of trials and tribulations. That joy is attached to what God's done and not attached to what's happening on the outside. Maybe you've noticed, but the word happy, I like to be happy. I I believe that uh, the Bible says, happy are we in the presence of the Lord. I'm happy. But, you know, the, the word, English word happy comes from the old English word hap. And hap just means just circumstance, happenstance, whatever happens to happen. Hap is luck, is just kind of stuff. So happiness is response to external circumstances. That's the response to what's going on. So that's why some people are happy one day and depressed the next day. But joy goes so much deeper. Joy is not attached to external circumstances. Joy comes from the inside and works its way out. So joy comes from that never-ending river of life on the inside of you. So you can have joy. No matter what's going on, you can have joy. No matter what the doctors uh, said is wrong with your head, whether you, you say, well, you got a chemical imbalance, you're always going to be depressed, you're going to be bipolar, whatever. Can I tell you that joy is not dependent on what's happening in your brain. That joy comes from your spirit, and it'll affect what's going on in your brain. And Jesus is the healer, thank God. And we believe that, don't we? But joy is not affected by what's going on. You can have joy when the world is turning to garbage. You can have joy. And you must have joy. We can't forget that the worst circumstance that Paul was ever in, as far as we know, was when he wrote the book of Philippians. He's in the worst prison. It's, it, was a, it was a sewer that they turned into a prison. It was just disgusting. People were dying and they leave the bodies floating. The rats would, would survive the sewer water by climbing on the dead bodies. Oh, what family day. You know, <laughs> hey kids, um, almost lunchtime. <laughs> And it's in that prison that he writes the letter to the Philippians where he mentions joy more than any other book of the Bible. So joy doesn't, joy is not affected by what's happening. You should be able to come to church, not not just in church, I'm using church as an example, but this is by far not the only place you should be able to do this. But you should be able to come to church and dance before the Lord and rejoice and sing at the top of your lungs and raise your hands when things are going terribly. In fact, that's probably the best time for you to do it. That's when you need to do it. Break right through that stuff. So he's got that joy, but then he says, you know, that this, your faith is being proven. There is a testing of your faith. And faith is absolutely vital because faith is that point where you say, this is not about what I can do. It's about what God can do. That is the question we've got to ask ourselves over and over again. Is God able? Yes, he is. Is God faithful? Yes, he is. Then it doesn't matter what's happening. God is able and God is faithful. He is mighty to save. He's strong to deliver. He is a strong refuge and I can run into him and be saved. So my faith is in God and my faith won't fail. 
Then he says it will produce patience in your life. And this is huge, guys, because we grew up in a fast food society that says you got to, if it doesn't work right now, you're doing something wrong. But can I tell you, and you know this, that there are times when you're doing everything right and the only thing you need to do is just keep doing it. Just stay standing. Don't quit and try something else. Do what the Lord says and stand and stand and stand until the mountain moves, until the wave breaks, until the storm stops. Patience, endurance is huge. And finally, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Because, you know, he says later, just a few verses later, that with every trial, he provides a way of escape way of escape. You need God's wisdom for that, don't you? Some people fight a battle far too long just because they didn't know how to get out of it. Sometimes you have to stand and just keep standing. But there are other times where you're still in the pit because you couldn't figure out how to get out of the pit. And that's where we need to ask God for wisdom. You need to know that you don't know everything. You need to acknowledge that there's some stuff I don't know yet. But God does, and he knows how to get me out. Storms will come. Drought will come. Famine will come. It does not have to destroy you. It doesn't have to tear down your house. It doesn't have to beat you down. You don't have to just survive the storm, because what the Scripture says is even in the time of drought, you don't cease to yield fruit. Today, I'm not talking about survival. I'm talking about thriving. I'm talking about being a provision for others. I'm talking about being a shelter for others. I'm talking about God being glorified even when everything around you looks like it shouldn't be working. I'm talking about people of God that say, I don't care what's happening. So you got to stop talking like that. Every time you talk to your friends, every time you talk to your family, and you blame everything that's happening on what's going on around you, blame everything you've done or every decision you've made on what's happened around you. If that's the case, take a breath and realize you've been making the wrong decisions. If you can say, well, we moved because things were tight and there was a job offer over here, then the question I'm going to ask you is, did God tell you to move? Because if you can't say he did, you took a job because of money. You moved because of money. And last I heard, money was not our God. Now, I know you got to feed your family, but don't you trust God that he can feed your family? Now, you should be working. You should have a job. He's got a job for you. But when you say, well, we moved because of money. Wrong. Move, guys. Every time. I Now, I've been a pastor for 10 years. I've been in a pastor's family since I was a baby. And every time I've ever seen somebody move to a different city because of a job, it never worked out well for them. When I, now, God may tell you to move, but if God tells you to move, he'll tell you to move. He's got a mission for you in Edmonton, he'll tell you to move to Edmonton. And he'll provide for you when you get there. He'll provide a job for you, he'll provide a place for you to stay. But you're going because you've got a mission. See, if you, if you, you tell everybody, well, we were going to do that, but then things happen here and things happen there. I understand that circumstances are not all in your head, that they're actually happening and they actually have real effects. But can I tell you that when you trust in the Lord, circumstances have to break before his word breaks. So we need some people that will stand up and be a little bit more confident in their God than they are in themselves and in the things that are happening. If you will be confident in your God, it doesn't matter what's happening. You'll say, no, 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 no. It doesn't seem to be working right now, but that's okay. We're going to stand. Don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant and just assume because you haven't heard new instructions that there aren't new instructions. That's why you got to ask God for wisdom. See, I've seen some people stay in a place where they're not bearing any fruit, and they just say, well, this is the last thing I heard. Well, maybe you need to ask God again. But if he says the same thing, stay the course. <laughs> I've, I've, I've experienced this, and you probably experienced this if you have kids. Just because they didn't hear you say something doesn't mean you didn't say something, Right? 
or just because they pretend they didn't hear, or just because they're more focused on something else, they're not listening to you, doesn't mean you didn't say it. So there are times when we say, well, God didn't say that to me, and it was because you never asked, or because you had your ears all stuffed with those little packing peanuts, because you were too busy doing something else. You had the music cranked, you weren't listening to God. But instead, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Here's the thing. He gives freely without reproach, which means you will never feel stupid for asking for wisdom. It's the wise man that asks for wisdom. It's the fool who says, there is no God, and I don't need that. I'm not here prophetically telling you there'll be a storm next week, but I am here telling you at some point in your life, you'll face a storm, you'll face drought, you'll face all these things, but I believe that your tree can keep bearing fruit, and I believe your house will not just survive, but be perfectly intact. When's the last time you heard a message that didn't immediately apply to your circumstances? Could have been Wednesday night. Could have been last Sunday. You need to stop treating that as a word for somebody else. And you need to start saying, God is telling me something because I'm going to need this someday. So I will build my foundation now with the word that's been given me. I will start building because someday I'm going to need that. And I'm not going to have time to go and find all the sermons or go find all the scriptures on it. I'm going to need it right in that moment. I've told you this story before, but a friend of mine, Lindsay, she's now successful. She's doing a great job doing what God's called her to do. But when she was like 11, she was hit with a, a very acute disease that hit quickly and kills quickly. And the doctors gave her zero chance of surviving it. And her mother walked into that room, heard the doctor's report, walked out of the room and said, I refuse to fear. At that moment, they called the people they knew that would believe God and trust God and pray with them. And they prayed and they trusted God. And they said, thank you, doctor. Thank you for telling us. But we refuse to fear. We trust God. Lindsay's alive and well today. In fact, it was miraculous how all of a sudden it just, her fever broke. She looked up at her mom, said, Mommy, hi, Mommy. You know, and it was just immediate. It was immediate how God delivered her. It was like as fast as it came on. And the doctors knew exactly what it was. It wasn't, we think this is it. They knew what it was. They had the samples to prove it. And she should not. If she survived it, it was going to be like winning the lottery. But she didn't just survive it. She came out completely healed and whole. Now, her mother did not have time to go pump herself up with some, with some stuff about healing. Her mom didn't have time to go say, I need to go get under the word. I'm going to need to hear that guy preach. I need to go. You know, no, she had to know right then. She didn't know she needed it, but she needed it. There are things that God is giving you right now that are building a foundation so that your house will stand when the storm comes. And you don't know what the storm looks like, so you might think it doesn't apply to me. But I'm telling you, apply the word to your life before you see the problem, before you see the issue, and you're not going to just survive. You'll thrive in the storm. Storms come, persecution arises. That's guaranteed But what is also guaranteed is those that trust in the Lord will find their roots planted in something much deeper, much greater, much more resilient than anything around you. Amen? Amen. Stand up with me this morning.